Welcome to the Final Score Network and the Final Score Podcast, presented by Team Anders Realtors. I'm Andy. He's former NCAA student athlete and co-host. Brian Gam, two-hand monster flush off the inbound. Brian Gam slam jam. Subscribe to us on Podbean, the Apple Podcast Store, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at the Final Score Thirty Five and TikTok at AG Spartan Fan 35. Oh, and one more note before we get started. I'd like to apologize to anyone I've not offended yet. Please be patient. I'll get to you shortly. Welcome into TFS136. We're doing this thing remotely. I'm tuning in here from Belmont, Michigan. Andrew J. Gam is out in Holland, Michigan. So I think this is like the third time we've ever done this remotely. I think the first time we did it probably was when I was in college. I did it from my house. You probably did it from here. And then I did it once in Maine. And I got called in and left some stuff for him once you did it by yourself. So this is really uncharted waters for us doing this from a different place. But hope it sounds all right. I uh, hope you guys are doing well. Football, we got it this week, folks. It matters. College football is here Saturday. Notre Dame Navy among other games we'll get to later in the pod. We'll talk briefly about um, cannot wait. NFL preseason's almost done. Only one week of it left. Um, and roster cuts, all that good stuff. Um, lots to talk about, as we always do. Um, go to the podium, as always. I'll start and make it brief, because we'll probably be a little long here um, in the nitty-gritty. So um, this happened on Friday, I believe, with Max Homa. I know you're going to talk about it, and I said I was too, so I'll, I'll touch on it briefly, and you can chime in if you want to. Um, but um, so long story short, Max Holmes putting in here, these guys talking in his backswing, betting $3 on his putt, all this stuff, and he goes on a tangent saying, why are you doing this one swinging, blah, blah, blah. Completely agree with you, Max. That's BS. Why are, you, why are people talking in his backswing the first one? That you make a peep in someone's backswing, you should never be allowed back to a golf event ever again. You should – Never do that. That's against etiquette. Um, I mean, when you're screwing around with your friends, doing fun stuff with pressure, whatever. But at a tournament with professionals, money on the line, you know, even like people's careers could be on the line in some cases. That's BS. We, there's no room for that. It's not freaking doing your little side bets and saying them out loud. No one cares. Um, just, just shut up. It's stupid. Save the unruly. Save the unruly behavior, you hooligans, for the soccer field. Like it's just like, there's only one sport where you really well maybe tennis too but you can't you can't do that so just shut your mouth and if you're too drunk to hold your wad then don't go. All right, my podium. Uh, we're gonna talk about since Ryan actually grabbed mine, which is fine. This is why we talk ahead of time. Um, I. I, I this isn't really a negative thing necessarily because I really like this person. Scott Van Pelt. Uh, he's the only star ESPN has left uh, after canceling basically most of its key people in the last few months because they're just going down the crapper for being woke, basically. Their parent company, Disney. So SVP announced today, signed a new multi-year deal. He's a 20-year vet with ESPN. It includes Sports Center, Monday Night Countdown, SV Pod, Bad Beats, um, and he covers the golf majors, including the PGA and the Masters. 
SVP is fantastic. I don't listen to a whole lot of other pods and I don't listen to a whole lot of other pods regularly except for listening back to our own. But if I'm going to listen to one, typically he's one of them. Um, you know, he's been around for the 2000s, right? Like, Ryan, you grew up with him. I, I think he's great. He's got a great take. He's like an everyday guy. I just don't know. I know why ESPN kept him, but I don't know why SVP limited himself to them because sports is really growing away from ESPN, in my opinion, especially if there are really rumors that they're going to go completely digital and streaming. I, and maybe he's got an out in his contract or whatever. It was a desperate move, I'm sure, by ESPN to keep him after they dumped everybody else. But, like... This is not the ESPN of the 90s with Dan Patrick and Keith Olbermann on SportsCenter when it was much must-watch TV or when you got the Stuart Scott and some of those guys. Like SportsCenter used to be, in, when I was in college, must-see TV. I bet you I haven't sat and watched five minutes of non-game programming on ESPN in years, especially not on purpose. Maybe it was on in an airport or something, but... I'm just I'm a little disappointed. I think SVP is better than ESPN. I wish he would have gone to Fox. I wish he would have gone to NBC. I wish he would have gone to CBS. I wish he would have gone just about anywhere else but back to ESPN. Yeah, I agree. Getting back to your sports or anything. Yeah, for me, it was growing up, it was the Neil Everett, Stan Verrett. I, I would watch on the Rewind when I was a young kid, just over and over again, watching highlights because I loved it um, so much. But yeah, now it's garbage. Um all right, tee up. Uh, we'll get to that. We'll do this really quick. It's it just uh, it peeved both of us off yesterday. We were it was hot already outside, and it made us even hotter because we were just it was it was ridiculous. It was kind of comical at the same time, but also stupid. So we're gonna tee up golfers and golfers in particular that are playing from the wrong tee box. What I mean by this is we're playing Boulder Creek. We pull up into the parking lot. There's this threesome ting off. They're ting off on the chips. You go, oh, that must be pretty good. Our tee time is probably 25 minutes later, 30 minutes later. We start. We play the front nine, kind of slow. There's a few groups in front of us, whatever. This group was two groups ahead of us, two or three ahead of us, whatever. The group in front of us stops. We get to the ninth tee box, and these guys are teeing off from the 10th hole, waiting, and we watch them tee off and go, there's no way. There's no way these guys should be playing the tips. And then we watch them tee off from the 11th hole. Boulder Creek is was where we played yesterday. Very, very difficult golf course from the tips. I mean, it's long. There's a lot of forced carries. Um, it's, it's really, really difficult. It's not an easy course from the blues or whites. I mean, the blacks, I mean, that would take like a scratch golfer um, to shoot. You know, I mean, I think the, the rating is like 73 from the tips. So it's not, not an easy course, um, even for a scratch golfer. But um, this these idiots could not hit the ball at all there's one guy how, i don't think he made it past the ladies tease anything did he no the three i saw him tee off on two different occasions one time he actually hit it backwards sideways twice he whiffed twice he didn't carry the 75 yard ravine that he needed to in fact he hit it almost sideways on that and oh by the way here's my other pet peeve it's 90 freaking degrees and you're playing the tips, and to make yourself look good, you're playing in pants like you're a pro. You're a freaking moron. Because you know why I know you're a moron? I watched your swing, and oh, by the way, you had a top-flight bag. So I'm teeing up anybody that is a top-flight bag who wears pants when they're playing golf when it's 90 degrees, and they're not a professional that's required to. And when you're playing the black tees when you should be playing the red tees. Yeah, that was just that was ridiculous. Um, no need for that stuff. 
It's a waste waste of time. I will say that yesterday I was kind of prepared for it, and I didn't let it bother me and shot a 37 on the back, so I wasn't super as as pissed as I usually would get because that usually makes my round go sideways in a hurry. Right. Yep. All right. Well, nitty-gritty time. We got four downs back. Um, college football week. This is the last week of previews, so um, those keepers were on. I went letter order. Um, I did not for one team, and that's our Michigan State Spartans, who I will do an in-depth dive on here. I'm going to go second this time because it'll be longer, and then you can comment. So I think you've got the Badgers um, to to talk about here. So without further ado, let her rip. I'll do it. First, first, I'll give a little word from our Big Ten segment sponsor, Norris Sports Group. NSG is a boutique agency of experts with 30-plus years' experience in sports sponsorship, endorsement strategy, program assessment, contract negotiations, event activation, and post-campaign measurement. Visit norrissportsgroup.com today to learn more. All right, as Ryan said, um, I've been handling the West. I've been following along worst to first. Uh, let's see if I can go off the top of my head. We had Northwestern, then we had Purdue, then we had Nebraska. Then we had Illinois, then Minnesota, then Iowa, who I think could sneak into this spot. It's going to really come down to the one game. And me winning the West this year, the Wisconsin Badgers. A little five-year conference trend. Again, a little shout-out, sports reference, college football news, Athlon for some of the source information here. Five-year conference trend, 2018, Badgers 5-4, and four, tied for second. 2019, 7-2, tied for first, went to Indy. In fact, that's the last time they've been to Indy. Uh, 2020, three and three in the COVID year, third in the West. 2021, six and three tied for second. And then last year, kind of a definite fall off in the midst of some coaching turmoil, four and five for fifth. So that's the one outlier as Wisconsin is always up there at the top. Last year, I had them going three and oh out of conference, five and four in the Big Ten, eight and four tied for second. Going to the Tampa Bowl, aka the Outback Bowl, or I think it's now the ReliaQuest. They went two and one, four and five, six and six. They did win their bowl game, uh, and they went to the guaranteed rate bowl, finished fifth in the Big Ten. So, uh, like I said, an uncharacteristically off year for the Badgers. Uh, looking to this year, even with all of last year's drama, after a two and three start in a canned head coach, Wisconsin finished its twenty-first straight winning season. That's pretty remarkable. Uh, won its eighth bowl game in the last nine years, also remarkable, and is officially the winningest Power 5 program not to make the CFP during the era. If you're as old as me, you remember when Wisconsin was right there with Northwestern as just about the most winnable game on any schedule. But for the first time, maybe since the Barry Alvarez reset back in 1990, back when the Badgers used to be bad, the Badgers are looking at a fresh start and the sort of unbridled enthusiasm that more often comes with programs trying to rise from the ashes. That should scare the hell out of the rest of the Big Ten West. Uh, let's look at the offense. Unless you're from another universe, you already know Wisconsin has a legacy as the preeminent running offense in America. It made Alvarez. It made Bielema. It's made oodles of stud NFL running backs. So are you ready for this? The Badgers are going air raid. Yep, you heard that right. Air Raid meet Wisconsin football. Enter new offensive coordinator Phil Longo. He's been with Mac Brown lighting it up at North Carolina and prior to that did so at Ole Miss. He and Fickle are looking to get UW football into the 2020s. It'll take a little bit more than this season as plenty of recruiting needs to be done, but Wisconsin fans will be jumping around 
at the prospects of a newfangled offense. Thanks to the transfer portal, Longo and the offense is going to hit the reset button hard on the style. While they won't wave goodbye to ground and pound, they will make strides pretty quickly toward the air raid. That starts at quarterback, where UW brought in three very good options. Nick Evers from Oklahoma, Braden Locke from Mississippi State, and likely starter Tanner Mordecai from SMU, and a whole new dimension to the offense. Add to the hall of quarterbacks is the receiving core. It should be fantastic with C.J. Williams from USC, Will Pauling following Coach Fickle from Cincinnati, and Bryson Green from Oklahoma State. So these are... These are high-level transfers, people. These are not D2, low D1 transfers. These are big transfers. These three guys are coming to work in with last year's top three targets who are back, Chimari DK, Skylar Bell, and Keontez Lewis. The Badgers might just be the second-strongest receiving core behind NFL-loaded Ohio State. The Badgers will continue to use the rushing attack, no doubt, which will be led for the third consecutive year by tailbacks Braylon Allen and Chez Melusi. Allen is the fifth Badgers running back to rush for at least 1,000 yards in both his freshman and sophomore seasons, and Malusi has averaged 4.5 yards per carry since arriving in Madison. The ability to run should help the passing attack come along at a reasonable pace and gives Wisconsin something to fall back on should their air raid sputter. The good news is UW always has a mammoth pro-caliber offensive line to support, and this year is no different. Another Cincinnati transfer, Jake Renfro, will handle the center job, and returning centers Jack Nelson, a beefy 6'7", 305, and Riley Malman, 6'8", 318. How's that for a couple of bookends? Uh, protect the edge. Wisconsin. Yep, the front was below average by Wisconsin standards last season, but should take a step forward and watch this offense get launched. Defensively, so if the offense is going to be potentially revolutionary, what about the D? The Badgers bring back eight starters from a good by their but not great by their standards 2022 squad uh, but with new defensive coordinator Mike Trussell's 335 style coupled with the returnees this could be a very good defense I think Ryan actually picked him to be the top defense last week Trussell brings Big Ten experience and should take this full cupboard and go to town the first place Wisconsin does need to look to improve on last year is in the pass rush inside linebacker Mayma, these names are tough these days. Mayma Jongmeda returns after leading the team in tackles. He had 95 of them. And Trussell may try to feature him as a pass rusher up the middle. Jongmeda posted a 23.9% win rate on pass rushing snaps, according to PF Pro Football Focus, which tied edge rusher Nick Herbig for the team lead last year. Herbig is off for the league, as is Keanu Benton, so a lot rides on the return uh, up front of Isaiah Mullins as well. Jordan Turner at inside linebacker and CJ Getz at outside linebacker round out, which should be a very good front for Wisconsin. Probably the place the Badgers really went fishing in the portal was the secondary. The biggest catch was safety Jason Matry from Boston College. Meanwhile, Hunter Wohler returns from injury to play the hybrid position that Trussell and most DCs these days covet. The corners will be fine around Alexander Smith, but this is one place that could have a negative impact on the defense overall that's not quite the caliber that Jimmy Leonard had back there prior. Special teams-wise, Matt Mitchell comes from our backyard, D2 D2 powerhouse, GVSU, to run the special teams. Sophomore Nathaniel Vakos, an Ohio transfer, is expecting the handling of the kicking duties. And Wisconsin is replacing three-year punter Andy Vujnovich, 
with senior Jack Van Dyke, um, and then Fickle has him working on adding the Aussie-style rollout punt to his arsenal, which is also popular these days, uh, mostly for guys who can't just catch and kick like you know, Michigan State's guy last year could. Final take, last year was a down year for this team, and it was still a winner. Enter a coveted coach, crazy good staff, hall of impressive transfers, new approaches on both sides of the ball, and, well, things are hot heading into this season. The last one with the softy West to rule. Wisconsin fans sure see this as Alvarez Part 2, and, hey, I'm buying as well. Fickle's an excellent coach with a Big Ten pedigree, and he's going to modernize the way Wisconsin plays, which sets them up great for the new Big 18 going forward. Meanwhile, the only question left remains, do they have enough to win in Indy 2? So I look at their floor at 9-3. and three. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty good to have a floor as bad as 9-3. and three. A ceiling of 11-1, and one, running through their schedule. We got them beating Buffalo, going on the road. Eh, maybe a tough one at Washington State, but picking them off. Uh, and then beating Georgia Southern, who got Nebraska last year. Going on the road, beating Purdue. And then it's an early season bye for them. And then it's a little bit of a run. Uh, Rutgers win at home. Iowa win at home. Loss at Illinois. Uh, loss against Ohio State. And then running the table at the end. A win at Indiana. A win against Northwestern at home. Win against Nebraska. And a win at Minnesota. A little payback. That's good enough for 3-0 out of conference. 7-2 and in the conference. 10-2 and tied for first with Iowa. But getting the nod by beating them. And sadly at 10-2 and because the East is so good. Only going to the Citrus Bowl. But as you see that schedule, you could very easily see where that ceiling could be an eleven and one instead. Yeah, I uh, I agree with you on the record, but I had them going eight and one in the Big Ten, only losing to Ohio State, and then actually losing to Washington State on the road. I think it's gonna be a tricky one for them because Washington State's pretty good; they're well coached, um, and they're gonna be pissed off if they're last year in the big, the real Pac-12. So. Um, they're going to be out for blood. Two, looking for two in a row against Wisconsin. But, yeah, Wisconsin, so weird. You know, they've had this consistency. Then last year, they were still decent, but they fired Chris, who I thought was a pretty decent coach. Must not have loved the old-school style, I guess. And then they turned to Fickle, who, you know, he's a defensive guy, but, you know, brings in Longo to run the air raid. And that's, I mean, that's it's foreign. It's weird. It's, it's 2023. I guess they finally adjusted, but it's just going to be weird to see Wisconsin run an air raid. Mordecai's the real deal, and so is Braylon Allen, for that matter. So they at least had two really good players, and then always have a good offensive line, like you said, and that defense is always solid, then brought in these receivers. So it should be a really good season for Wisconsin. Yeah, I think think Chris, you know, he's actually, if you look at it, he's got one of the higher winning percentages in Big Ten coach history. You know, relative, not like top 10 or anything, but, you know, pretty strong for sure. I just think Wisconsin got tired of not being in the battle for great great quarterback recruits, for example. I mean, they, they've always gotten great running backs, especially out of New Jersey. Um, they've always actually had some sneaky good wide receivers, and they've always usually fielded a pretty good defense and, of course, their offensive line. Um, I think they're kind of getting tired of playing 8th, ninth, 10th fiddle in the quarterback recruiting game in the Big Ten. You know, when Maryland's got a better quarterback uh, that you brought in, well, he was a transfer too, but I think that's probably ultimately what sealed Chris's fate is they just said, hey, it's time to get it's time to get with the times. No more of this power eye stuff. You're right. I, I agree. Um, yeah, that's the Badgers. Do you, do you have anything else you want to talk about with them? Or you get... Nope, I'm good there. All right. Well, there's the moment we've all been waiting for, the Michigan State Spartans. Um, all right. 
did for them, then I'll go in depth on, you know, depth chart players, whatever. Um, so last year, five and seven, disappointing season um, for Michigan State. You know, we were 11 and two in 2021, right high, um, had a really good season, high expectation last year, fall flat in your face, you know, get smoked by Washington, get smoked by Minnesota, go on that little losing streak. You know, Michigan thing happens with the tunnel, whatever. Um, you know, win a couple games to get back, you know, to maybe make a bowl game, then you absolutely choke on air against Indiana, miss a 20-yard field goal, blow a 20-point lead, and lose. You miss out on the bowl game, three and six in the Big Ten. That's not good enough um, when you're left at home. And then some guys leaving the transfer portal, whatever. People think the sky's falling. Um, well, Mel Tucker, now in his fourth year, he's 18-14 overall. He has something to say about that. Brought in fourth best recruiting class in the Big Ten. We can touch on some more of those guys later here. Um, but, you know, a pretty good overhaul there, um, you know, considering fourth in the Big Ten, which is fourth in the East um, in recruiting, which is wild. Um, but, you know, I said before, key losses, they lost Col- Keon Coleman to the to the transfer portal. Yeah, was he a stud receiver? Yeah, absolutely. You know, 6'3", six, 6'4", six, can jump really high, um, pretty fast. Is he a diva? Oh, I've never seen more of a diva in college football than this guy. Uh, you know, I always said I was going to be up only north for a couple of years and come down south. Like, who says that? Like, what, what a cocky yeah. a-hole. And, of course, you know, he's not ranked, you know, as anything at Michigan State. And then I, you see him pop up in the top 70 players in college football on ESPN's list. It's like, if he was at Michigan State, there's no way in hell he would be on that list. Um, it's all about brands and whatever. You know, he's a, he's a, he was, you know, a safe would have been the top target for Michigan State. Probably would have had a lot of yards, um, but he's gone. He's to Florida State. He's history. Don't care about him anymore. Good luck, dude. Um, and then, obviously, Peyton Thorne transferred to Auburn. Um, he won the starting job there. Good for him, I guess. Good luck playing against the SEC. You couldn't even complete passes in the Big Ten without throwing interceptions. I don't know how you're going to do that against Alabama and Georgia and all these teams with better athletes, but we'll see, I guess. But you know, it's a guy that was a safe floor for Michigan State as a quarterback because of the experience he brought. You know, he's one of the leaders in um, passing touchdowns in a career, has the most in a season. You know, he was he knew the offense well, but I, I just don't know if he he obviously left because he was not guaranteed a starting spot. Which if you're if you're not going to willing to compete, I don't want you on my team. Um, that's not what we need. We need guys that are competitive, trying to fight and scratching and clawing for their job every single day like their life depends on it. Um, and that's what we have now, which I'll get to later. But those two of the big transfers out, I mean, everyone else went kind of smaller, you know, down a grade, you know, the group of five or FCS or even Division Two in some cases, JUCO, whatever. Um, did lose Jaden Reed. He was a second-round pick to the, Cal- to the Packers, I'm sorry. You know, he's, he's a really good receiver, kind of dinged up last year, didn't get the full – Jay Reed experience, but you know that's obviously a big loss. Punt returner, guy, keep your eyes on, kind of a go-to target, safety blanket kind of thing. But got to replace that. And then Kendall Brooks, one of the leading tacklers last year, safety. Um, he's a pretty good player. He's playing for the Cardinals right now in the league. Good for him. And Xavier Henderson was kind of the quarterback of the defense for the last couple of years um, at safety. He's also gone to Jacob Slade, uh, who I was really surprised didn't get drafted last year. He's a pretty good player. Uh, and the best punter in college football last year, Bryce Berenger. Um, um, really good punter. Um, he's booming him for the Patriots. Right now. He gets he's, he's Rex Specs off. Um, good for Bryce. He's going to make a long career for himself in New England in NFL. 
No. Key returners, um, Jacoby Whitman's back. Love him. Missed the last four games of the season last year due to stupid suspension. He won Big Ten Defensive Player of the Week like three times last year. I think he was National Defensive Player of the Week a couple times. Forced a lot of fumbles. He can play linebacker. He can, you know, pick up tight ends and maybe slower receivers. He can rush on the edge. He's got moves. He's quick. Um, he's a good leader. That's the kind of guy you want in your middle on your defense. Pair him with Cal Halliday, who led, I think he was one of the top tackles in the Big Ten last year. He's led Michigan State tackles the last two years. He's beefed up. I think he went up like 10 pounds. Like, I need to be this way to play linebacker in the Big Ten and not get banged around. He's kind of been hurt a lot in his career. Um, and now's the time to, you know, take that. It's his third year as a full-time starter as a redshirt junior here. Expecting a big year out of Cal, the boogeyman, Halliday. And then defensive tackle Simeon Barrow's back. It'll be his third year starting as well. This guy's got first-team All-Big Ten written all over him. He's a beast. He's strong. He's quick. I, I've been reading rave reviews about him from camp. His coaches are saying, his teammates are saying he's, he looks even better, faster. You know, he's being a leader. Love to see that in the defense. And then um, on the offensive side of the ball, you got Trey mostly back in his fifth year, um, which basically equals out to his fourth year because he only played in a few games, I think five as a, a true freshman and obviously only five during the COVID season um, and then the last two. So this is really, I guess, his technically senior year if you were keeping track just game-wise. He's definitely going to be the number one target for Michigan State. I think that he's going to break out and have a really nice season for the Spartans. Um Got another safety blanket on a guy. He catches everything in his radius. He's a great leader for that receiving room that's pretty young. Um, love to see that. And I think Malik Carr um, is another guy that's going to break out this year. The, apparently, he's put on some more weight. He apparently, grew an inch, too. Um, I think he's he's got to be better as a blocker. They said he's improved. We'll see here in the next couple weeks if that's really true. But I think he could be a nice safety blank as well for whoever ends up playing quarterback. And then Nick Samak and Jaden Duplain on the offensive line, kind of the guard-center combo, have been together since 2019 when they came and started a lot of games, played a lot of games together. Um, they know what it takes to win in the Big Ten. Hopefully they can stay healthy. Samak's been kind of banged up, but expect to be fully ready to go um, on September 1st against the Chippewas. Newcomers, you know, a lot, number four Big Ten class, like I said before, brought in some good transfer guys. Start with some transfers here. Nate Carter, that's the name to watch. Number five, Kenneth Walker Jr. is what I, I, I he reminds me of. He's a little, you know, smaller back. He's about 200 pounds, fast, shifty. He can run you over. He can cut really quick. This isn't your Jarek Broussard from last year that's five, 700 pounds and looks like a looks like a middle schooler running on this guy is built i if you've seen him his workout videos there's videos of him squatting like 600 pounds um this guy's a freak of nature he, he's the fastest guy in the team um for this thing the bands that they're wearing in practice he hit like 21 miles an hour in practice last week um on a run that's pretty impressive um so look out for mr carter jalen sammy comes in this guy's from colorado six foot seven 330 pounds Defensive tackle. He was really good for Colorado. He played for Coach T when he was was out there in Boulder. Um, this guy is he going to start? Probably not. Michigan's got a really good, really deep defensive tackle room, but he's going to play and he's going to be a run stuffer. He eat up, eats up blocks. He's really strong. He knows what he's doing. He's pretty quick for his size, um, from what I've heard. So looking forward to seeing him just block some holes in there and create havoc. Um, I think this might be the most important transfer coming in from Michigan State. This is Jonathan Kim. So he's a kicker. He's from North Carolina. 
he's led in the last two seasons fully that he's played the NCAA in touchbacks, which is great because Michigan State hasn't had a kicker that can consistently kick a touchback since Nam. Um, Truth. It's been ridiculous. And this guy's got a huge leg. Um, did he get a chance at North Carolina kick? No, because he was fighting with another guy who was a borderline NFL prospect, and he kind of got hurt last year and entered the tra- ultimately entered the transfer portal and wanted you know a place where he could you know come in and compete to be the starting kicker and show off what he's got. He's got the kickoff down, the leg strength, whatever. Heard rave reviews from this guy um, on, during practice. Apparently, in their scrimmage two Saturdays ago, he made a 56-yarder in their pressure pressure situation. That's very good news because last year Michigan State didn't even make a 26-yard field goal. Um, so if we can make some distance field goals, make some chip shots, anything 40 and in is good. If you make 9 out of 10 from 40 in, sign me up. I don't think Michigan State, I think they only made six field goals last year. That was like the least in Power 5, which is absolutely ridiculous um, and uncalled for. Ross Ells, your ass is grass if that happens again, um, I hope. Um, and then – the few newcomer freshmen slash JUCO guys that are going to be um, special players, I think, for Michigan State now or in the future. By Joe, top 100 player um, from Oklahoma, six foot five, really fast edge rusher, twitchy, um, just a freak athlete. He was a sprinter. He, played, he returned kicks in high school. This dude plays is going to be a defensive end for Michigan State. Bendy, uh, put some weight on this guy, get him up to 245, 250 pounds, and keep that speed. He's going to be a problem in the Big Ten. I think you'll see him in certain packages for Michigan State this year. Um, well, I don't think he'll play a ton of downs, but maybe third down, you know, rush rush end, um, kind of like a you know speed car package, kind of like the Lions like to do, um, would be great. And then Jordan Hall, heard his name about ten times last week on the BTN preview. Um, I, number five as well, good number, young man. Um, he was a three-year captain at IMG Academy, and that says a lot. Um, that's one of the best high school football programs in America. It's a factory. Um, great linebacker. He's fast. He's big. He's like 6'3", 240, um, can thump. He's a really smart kid, um, and he's a really great leader. Um, they t- speak very highly of him. I would not be surprised if he gets on the field wide and is a very big special teams con- contributor from Michigan State. And then the last guy I have is a great newcomer is Keyshawn Blackstock. He's a JUCO transfer, was a number one interior JUCO transfer out of, I think, Coffeeville, um, JUCO. I don't even know where that is, maybe Oklahoma. But he's going to be really good. Kansas, I think. And guard. Um, hopefully he can be a nice, you know, piece that can be that kind of fifth, sixth lineman for Michigan State that can hold it down and be consistent because that's what Michigan State really needs. Um and I didn't, uh, speaking of, you know, depth chart, whatever, I'm, I'm going to kind of go through what I think Michigan State will look like here. So I, I'll start with offense really quick. I'll, I'll breeze through it. So I think starting quarterback to start this year is going to be Noah Kim. Um, could that could it be Hauser? Absolutely. I, I don't know. I, I, no one really knows unless you're inside the building in East Lansing. But I've heard good things about both. I'm guessing both will play a lot in both the first games then kind of figure out ride whoever's playing the best through those two and then Sam Leavitt apparently has played well wouldn't be surprised if it's you know these games are blowouts which I hope they are um, he can get some tick as well um, which would be really cool uh, running back I think it's going to be Carter and Berger as kind of the main guys then Jared Mangum comes in from USF um, it's kind of a, the short yard is Jamal Williams type back 6'3 230 um, 
he's really really powerful back can get you some short yardage um you know touchdowns and whatnot if you need him to get a couple yards when needed then you got you know jordan simmons davian prim who have been in the program for a few years simmons led the team in rushing in 2020 that's not saying a lot because i think you only have like 50 yards in five games so you couldn't run the damn ball um then jalen barber comes in this guy i'm excited about i think he'll end up redshirting possibly but fastest they're saying he's the fastest straight sprinter michigan has had since deandre cobb if anyone remembers him that dude was lightning in a bottle put him in a kickoff return game baby yeah um if, if he's that fast, please, please put him back in. Just let him run. I don't care. Um, put him in package. I don't care. Um, and then receiver, I think Michigan State's top three as of now, and then I think it will be pretty rotated. But I think Mosley's definitely number one guy. And you got Alante Brown. He transferred over from Nebraska. Um, he's a speed guy. He's got, he was originally committed to Michigan State, then ended up same one more in high school, went to a prep school, then went to Nebraska, transferred to Michigan State. Fast guy, shifty. He's got experience. I think he'll be pretty good for Michigan State. We're in number zero. Then Montori Foster, this is my breakout candidate on offense. I think he could be really good. He's been kind of dinged up the last couple of years. He's a basketball player. He's, you know, can high point the ball. He's athletic. He's quick. Um, I think he's going to be really nice for Michigan State, as well as Tyrell Henry, who I think could be a really good punt returner for Michigan State. Um, watch out for him. And then Christian Fitzpatrick, Jerron Glover, Antonio Gates Jr., all three of those guys I think can be, a, you know, another guys that can go off at any time. Um, all kind of bigger receivers. Fitzpatrick's like six four, six five. His brother plays in the NFL. He's got that you know pedigree um, in him. I think he can do well. Then Isaiah Johnson, Jalen Smith, they're freshmen. I think they'll both redshirt, but um, eventually could be really good for Michigan State down the line. I've heard good things about them as recruits and stuff. Pretty big receivers there. Tight end Malik Carr. Um, He's got to be the number one guy. Hopefully he will be. Um, then you got Jalen Franklin transferred over from Wisconsin. Uh, didn't play a ton for them, but he provides depth. And Tennille Hooper from Boise State didn't play a ton. He's a decent blocker, whatever. Evan Morris is the name to keep an eye on. Former punter slash kicker that came over and walk on. Apparently, Michigan State likes to turn former punters into tight ends for some reason. No wear numbers in the 90s. I don't get it. <laughs> but apparently, this guy's could be the number two tight end for Michigan State. I don't know if that's because he's worked hard and got well or the room just is absolutely abysmal. I hope it's the first thing I said, um, that he's actually good. Um, but we'll see. And then Jack Nickel, Michael Manasus, they were um, registered last year, highly touted tight ends coming out of high school. Could they be decent? Yeah, no game experience, so we'll see. And then Brennan Parachek, um, he was a four-star tight end last year out of um, – I can't remember, was it, it was Celine or Rochester? One of the two. I think it's Celine. He's, he could play, but I, I think he'd redshirt. And then we got some guy from Norfolk State. I don't think he'll play. He was kind of a body. Um, left tackle, things to be black soccer, Baldwin. I would think that maybe roll with Baldwin. You know, the system a little better. I think Bald, that's a pretty safe left tackle. Both could be are pretty decent. Then Ashton Lepo, the guy from Grand Haven, he's like 6'8". Um, could be a backup. I've heard he's played well. Left guard, J.D. Duplain, definitely will start there. Then Kevin Wigginton, I've heard he's played well as a backup. I think he's a redshirt sophomore now. 
That's good. And Cole Dellinger, you can play guard and center um, from Clarkson, who's a four-star. Could be a pretty good player from Michigan State. And then Samak, I think, will be a center. Dallas Fincher backing him up. Samak's a really good center. Um, could have a big season. Right guard, I'm excited about Geno Vandermark. Started a lot at the end of last year. Um, expecting big things out of him um, at the guard position there. Um, I think I'll start them. Christian Phillips and uh, Braden Miller backing him up. And Spencer Brown at right tackle. With Ethan Boyd, who apparently is playing well at um, – at right tackle, then Stanton Randall is named to watch some features. I think he'll redshirt, but could be a player down the line who's a four-star. Kicker, uh, I think it'll be Jonathan Kim. And then Russ Snack, back him up. He's not very good. I hope it's not him. Um, kick returner, as of now, I, I, I think it'll be Henry and Alante Brown. But I wouldn't be surprised to see Barbara back there. And then punt returner, absolutely Terrell Henry, I think, will be the dude. Flipping the defense real fast. Breeze through uh, defensive end. I think it's going to be Tunisi Adelaide, He's a transfer from Texas A&M. He was a top, you know, 50 player in his class in 2021. Was kind of banged up. He's a big fella. Um, apparently, he's been playing well for Michigan State here. I think he's going to make some noise in the Big Ten. And Chris Bogle, um, who was hurt a lot last year, he's a, another guy that was highly touted. Transferred to Michigan State. Um, He's got upside, just got to stay healthy, big fella. Um, and the rest at defensive end, I think Michigan's just got a lot of depth here. Avery Dunn, who came on at the end of last year, was pretty good. Brandon Wright, um, kind of that speed edge guy, former running back, which is kind of weird. What is he in, his eighth year? Yeah, seriously, I, he might be. <laughs> then Ken Talley, he transferred right before the first game last year. He was actually went to Penn State, then he didn't like it, then came to Michigan State. He was highly touted as a recruit. Don't know how much he'll play, but... He's depth. Um, and then Zion Young, he got suspended for the brawl last year. This dude is has potential uh, to be an all-Big Ten player. He's 6'6", he's fast, he's big, strong. Would not be surprised to see him play starter downs. And I mentioned by Jove earlier, I think he'll play a decent amount. Um, he'd be a really good player for Michigan State here. Maybe potential all-Big Ten freshman team. Andrew DePape. It's a name to watch in the future. I think he'll redshirt, but he was a four-star defensive end for Michigan State out of Iowa. Good player than James Schott um, from Indianapolis area. Provide depth at the end. D-tackle, my favorite position for Michigan State this year. Simeon Barrow, Derek Harmon, studs in the middle. Harmon, really, really good player. Expecting big things of both. Backups, Mav Hansen, Jalen Sammy. Both beasts. Mav is a good leader. He's been in the program for a long time as well. He knows what he's doing gets a lot of his, out of his fellow teammates big time stuff right there and Alex Van Superman he was Michigan State's highest rated recruit in 2022 um, I think he could have a big season he's put on some weight so that's good um, and Andre Butler and Jared Jackson both transfers Butler from Liberty before that he was at Auburn and then Jackson was at um, Florida State and then before that Louisville so they, they played in the Power 5 before they know what they're doing um, provide some depth there and then Jalen Thompson as well he was a high, highly rated defensive um, line recruit of Cast Tech watch his name in the future linebacker Cal Halliday Jacoby Women enough said talked about him before surefire stars Aaron Brule he'll play starter downs really good guy um, can speed rush on the edge as well cover a little bit I like his game and how he played at the end of last year. I'm expecting big things. Darius Snow, if he's healthy, he will play a lot, um, but I don't know if he will be praying for it because he's a good guy um, and he's a great leader for Michigan State and he knows what he's doing. He's kind of like the, the captain of the defense kind of thing. Um, we need that. Then Guyote is still there. He's, geez, he's, 
he's been there for 20 years too. Hall, I mentioned him in my impact newcomers. I think he'd be good. Um, Quig and Carter, he was played last year's a little, little dinged up, but um, I think he might have played in one game. He's a some depth there. Aaron Alexander transferred over from UMass. He's depth. And then Harold Joyner, he's still with Mission State. Move running back to H-back to safety. Now he's a linebacker. Who knows if he's good at it? We'll see. Michigan State plays a stupid 4-2-5. Um, Nickelback, Angelo Gross, I think we'll get the start. God help us all. Chester Kimbrough is still here. Uh, I don't have any words for that. Neither for Justin White, I don't have any words for that position. Corner, very skeptical. Chuck Brantley, is he good? Yeah, but he weighs five pounds. Can't ever stay healthy. We'll see. I think Caleb Colby's a name to watch at corner. Apparently, he's played well. Um, I think Dylan Tatum could have a nice season. Then we got Terry Roberts, Samar Melvin. They're both transfers um, from Big Ten schools. Um, so we'll see if they can provide depth there. Then Aid Willie and Marquis Lowry provide some depth and a few freshmen as well. Um, and safety, I'm excited about the future of this position with Mangum and, and Malik Spencer. I think they're both going to be pretty good players from Michigan State. Um, both true sophomore or one I guess Mangum will be a true sophomore and um, Spencer Richard freshman so I expect big things out of those guys uh, maybe not right away but here um, in the very near future um, then punter Ryan Eckley's from uh, got a good name and he's from Florida apparently he's a pretty good puncher big leg um, I think as long as he can just not shank the ball um, we'll, we'll call it good big questions from Michigan State will, will Darius Mill be healthy I don't know who steps up on offense? Can the defense improve even marginally, slightly? I don't know. There's a coordinator hot seat. Jay Johnson, you're on the hot seat. Scotty Hazelson, your seat's even hotter. Please perform and get these guys ready to go. Biggest key for Michigan State, I think, this year, you need a positive turnover margin to sustain drives. No three and outs, no stupid play calling on third and short, whatever. No hurry up to jam the ball out of the shotgun on third and inches and get stuffed. Frickin' sneak it. Get creative with your plays. Put your guys in good situations. Please, 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 please. I've seen enough crap after last year. All right? Let's go through the schedule really fast. Central Michigan at home, win. Richmond at home, win. At Washington coming in, I think it'll be a close game, but lose. Michael Panics gets the best of Michigan State yet again. Maryland, win. I go to Iowa, beat five. Close game, but lose. Go to a bye, beat Rutgers. And then the the cheeseburgers down the road come in. Um, I think we'll lose. I think it'll be a close game. It always is at home. That's going to be just a weird environment. I don't even I'm kind of nervous to see what that's going to be like. It'd be kind of cool, though. Um, then Minnesota, go there, get a win, bounce back, um, then beat Nebraska two in a row. Then you go to Ohio State, and I, I, you don't even know. I, we won't win. Uh, loss, then at Indiana, win, then Penn State in forward field. And we've touched on how stupid we think that is. Loss, two and one out of conference, four, five more in the Big Ten. That's seven five overall. Um, and going to the Music City Bowl, which – Dad, if we make the Music City Bowl, we should go because that'd be awesome. We would have gone last year. Yep. I think the only difference I have is I have us going two and one, four and five, six and six, losing to Minnesota. I think you had us beating Minnesota, right? Um, But, I mean, Iowa is one of those games that could flip. Washington, who knows? I mean, there's, I think, you know, Michigan State's ceiling is probably nine and three. I don't, I think their floor is really six and six. 
I don't think they'll do much worse than six and six. I think they'll be in virtually every game. I think yeah. they they gave away a more potential win against Penn State by moving that to a neutral site. I just feel like moving it inside. I get it. They play in the winter too in in State College, but I just think that Michigan State gave up more of a shot at an upset win by moving that game to a neutral site. Uh, but you know, I mean. That's with no surprises in their schedule. I have them going six and six, and Michigan State's always good for a surprise both ways. So they'll probably lose a game they shouldn't lose. A lot Indiana last year. They'll probably win a game they shouldn't win. Michigan, Penn State, you know, maybe a road trip to Iowa, Minnesota, whatever. Um, I expect more than six and six, but realistically, at age fifty, I've seen enough to know, especially with questions at quarterback. Uh, although we had questions at quarterback two years ago, too. Remember, it was Russo and, and Thorne, and nobody knew, and nobody knew. And then Kenneth Walker busted a 75-yard touchdown run on the first play of the season, and that was the rest was history. So will Carter be that good? I mean, I you know, I certainly haven't done as much homework. I rely on you to do Michigan State's homework. I'm, I'm liking what I hear. Quality of depth, I think Michigan State probably has. Yeah. I think he has better depth than he's had since he's been here, which is a key to win in, in the Big Ten. Because I, I think virtually anybody in the top half of the Big Ten has the starters that can beat anybody. It's the depth is where you win, though, because injuries happen, right? Like, it yeah. just it just happens. So, And you need some of your stud recruits or your stud young guys or guys that have been in the program maybe a year that were stud recruits a couple of years ago. You need them to kind of step up. And so will that be for Michigan State at wide receiver? I think that's an easier position to make an impact at. I'm not tight end has been has been really persona non grata for Michigan State for a while now. I feel like almost since oh what was his name Josiah Price like Michigan State used used him a lot and they just they've had Carr and he's been a touted guy and they had Barker and he was a touted guy and like none of these guys have done much and you look and Michigan has had good tight ends over the years. Iowa's had great tight ends over the years like good. Teams with balance have a tight end that's a safety valve, and Michigan State has got to work that into the passing game, especially with a young quarterback. The last thing I'll say uh, about this team is, I'll tell you, Hauser certainly looks like a quarterback more so than Kim, but just give me the guy that's going to make the best decisions, not necessarily be not necessarily safe decisions all the time, but give me the guy that just doesn't make mistakes, that has command of the offense, that doesn't make stupid plays. Kim certainly did some good things in backup role last year. He has a cannon for an arm, and Hauser's is even bigger. So, like, if these guys can make the throws and these and the receivers can bail them out, and you know the secondary, that's probably the big weakness uh, on the defense. If they can kind of come along nicely, hey, who knows? Who knows? Right. Yeah, we'll see. I guess only time will tell. All right, let's go to hot spots. It probably took a long time, but that's all right. We that's all right. That Yep, moving on. You got any hodgepodge, or you want me to go? Uh, no, I've got nothing. All right. We'll do the pick on at the end. Okay, that sounds good. So, all right. So, here's one that's non-football related. I saw this week that Ennis Cantor uh, is threatening to don a wig, change his name, I can't remember, to like Anisha, and play in the WNBA. And I say, do there it. Is. Freaking do it. Do it and prove a point. Do it. That's so funny. All right, here's a couple for you. Uh, this one by way of Mitch. How long is Noah Kim's leash to start the season, assuming he captures the starting job? Yep, I don't think it's very long. Um, I, 
I'd say, you know, if he's if ball's not moving, you know, first game, if he's, you know, the starter, you know, maybe give him a drive, see what happens, you know, first drive jitters, whatever. Another drive stalls out, you don't get points. And another one, I'd say three or four series. And if he's not doing anything, you, you turn to the other guy, if that's Hauser or leave it, whoever you think's being better, um, you let him roll and you, you find who's the best one in a game situation. Cause you can, you know, you can practice all you want. You can scrimmage yourself, but until the lights really come on, there's people in the stands, there's crowd noise, there's heat, there's all this other outside factors, there's cameras. You never know. So I, I don't think it's very long, to be honest with you. And, and Michigan State needs to get this quarterback um, competition correct because it could, you know, it can really impact their future. Because if it's Hauser, that's your guy for the next three or four years. If it's Kim, maybe Hauser leaves, maybe leave it leaves. I don't know. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, it's, it's always so hard in, in the transfer world today because it's like you recruit these guys and you spend a lot of resources recruiting guys. And then yeah. if they don't play, they potentially leave because nobody's willing to actually stay and work and put in the time because quarterback, you know, is the arguably the hardest position to learn on the, on the field. I'll say this, like whoever gets the starting nod, let's assume for Mitch's question that it is Kim. I think he gets, you know, I really think he gets the first half. I think it's a full half to evaluate. And then if it's going like, if we're angsty and we're looking at loss number four to in the in time in the last thirty some years to Central Michigan, I think it's a you're going to get a quick a quick hook. But I I don't know. Kim was pretty calm under pressure last year. He didn't always come in and like he came in in one situation. It was in the middle of a, a game when it was a close game, and he threw yeah he threw his first pass. I think he like he threw the ball in a short yardage situation. So I I think you got to give him enough time to instill some confidence. But I do agree that I think game reps, when you're not playing against each other, is a little different. Like when you can get knocked around, obviously they're not getting hit in practice. So um, that's what I want to see is how does he hold up or how does, if it's Hauser, how does he hold up under the pressure of all the other things that are going on? Um, The good news is they've got two games that, you know, we're going to be pissed if they don't win by four touchdowns in each game. But at least you've got two games to kind of play around with it before it gets real with Washington coming to town. So um, you know, one of five preseason top 25 teams in Michigan State has to play this year. So um, that's kind of what I think on that one. Uh, here's one. We'll, this is courtesy of Valenti and his show a couple weeks ago. Um, he and Rico were debating this. Ryan, we listened to the, their podcast. What is acceptable for Michigan State football to keep Tuck off the hot seat this year? I think seven and five, and you show improvement on both sides of the ball. Your young guys are good. You get this quarterback situation correct, um, and you build more momentum recruiting. Because right now, I mean, it's not good for 2024. You have, like, the 50-something ranked class. Um, that's not good. Yeah, and I know. In today's day and age, with this Big Ten growing to 18 teams and with powerhouses, Oregon and, and USC and Washington's kind of an up-and-comer with Kalen DeBoer at the helm. And so I mean, UCLA's getting a lot better, too, so... Um, it's not going to get any easier and we need no. momentum. Yeah, and I, I know they were arguing really eight and four. And look, I look at the schedule and I just don't know if that's realistic. So I would agree. I, I you know, I picked us six and six. I think seven and five is is improvement over last year, and I think it has to include a win in a game that you shouldn't win. Now, by my pick of the schedule, that means that's going to happen because I have Michigan State losing to you know, all five of the ranked teams preseason. So if you win one of those, maybe two of those, and you go seven and five or eight and four, I think all the talk about he's overpaid, blah, 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 is off the table. I think if they 
if it, the other thing for me is not just record, but is his coaching. So he clearly made some egregious errors. Um, the Indiana game is the most notable. Um, you know, those things have got to be wiped out. And I think it also includes your your <clears throat> your coordinators. Like, you know, we saw under D'Antonio, he was a little too loyal to his coordinators for too long. And I get it. It takes a little bit of time to build a program. And you want to have kind of, you know, to exemplify to your players that you have loyalty and longevity in your program with your coaches too. But, like, I need to see market improvements on both sides of the ball um, you know, the offense has been minus last year. Kenneth Walker was, you know, he was a stud and he definitely made that offense better. But like, I think Johnson's a little bit further ahead than Hazleton is. Hazleton for his accolades and the guys that they've got, the beef that they've got, they've got the size, he's got to get better too. So I'll agree record wise, I think it's seven and five, but I think that seven and five has an asterisk of it's got to be with much better coaching decisions when the coaching is critical and it's got to include at least being competitive against those big teams. And it's got to include a win or two against those five preseason ranked teams. Right. Yes. I agree. Speaking of which, I know you were working on that. Well, maybe we can talk about that next week. Chris, Chris threw at us, like, how do you compare the, the AP, you know, top 25 at the beginning of the season to after the season and how accurate is it? So we've got that coming down the road. So we'll look at that. So the only other thing I wanted to throw out there. Speaking of AT, AP Top 25, um, you can remark on this if you want. I, I just thought I'd pass this along. Chris shared this. These are the greatest programs ever based on a formula developed on College Football News using every final AP Top 25 poll since 1936. Who do you think the number one greatest program is, given that criteria? Ohio State. Alabama. Number two, Ohio State. Three, Oklahoma. Tell me when you hear a surprise. Four, Michigan. Five, Notre Dame. Six USC tied for seven Texas and Nebraska, clearly old Nebraska, not current Nebraska. Nine Penn State, so there you got three Big Ten teams in the top ten. Ten Tennessee is a little surprising, actually. Eleven LSU, I would think that they're better than that. Twelve Georgia, thirteen Florida State, fourteen Auburn, fifteen Florida. Thank you, Urban Meyer. Sixteen the U, Miami. Seventeen Clemson. Obviously, they've been more of a flash lately. UCLA 18, Michigan State number 19. So um, 19th greatest program ever. So that's pretty good standing there. Um, 20, Arkansas. Haven't been great in a long time. 21, Texas A&M. Perennially overrated with Jimbo Fisher. 22, Washington. 23, Wisconsin. I'm actually surprised Wisconsin doesn't play out header than Michigan State, but they did have, they were pretty bad for a long time. 24, Ole Miss and 25, Iowa. So the Big Ten very well represented in the AP all-time top 25. Yes, they are. All right, moving on, because we are definitely going to be cooking over an hour today. A word... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do our pick them, then we'll do a sponsor ad. Okay. Pick them this week. Um, Week zero, Notre Dame versus Navy midshipmen in Dublin, Ireland. 20 and a half is the spread to Notre Dame. We're picking the spread here. Who's covering uh, you know, Navy always plays Notre Dame tough. It's overseas. I don't know anything about either. Notre Dame's got a new quarterback, right? Yes. I, I think they can win by three touchdowns. I'll go with Notre Dame to cover that. I'm saying Navy covers. Not think to be very high scoring. UTEP versus Jacksonville State, straight up. I'm going UTEP. I don't know anything about any of these teams. I'll go with UTEP because I got a nice laptop sticker from one of our dealers down that way. So I'm, I'll go UTEP as well. All right, all right. New 
Mexico State, UMass. This is the this is the game that's on ESPN on the first time. That's hilarious. Seven and a half is the spread for New Mexico State. They're covering. Is Beth Mullen just, calling this one or what? I don't know. Jerry kills the coach of New Mexico State. All right, that's all I need to know. I'll go with you know, Mister Seizure himself, Coach Kill. Yeah. All right. Uh, Ohio versus San Diego State. Surprisingly, this is just straight up because San Diego State's only a three-point favorite over Ohio, which is interesting. Yeah, because they've been pretty decent um, over the years. Do they still have Brady or Jabba the Hoke as a coach? Yep. I'm going to go with the Aztecs. All right. I am as well. Um, Vanderbilt versus Hawaii in Nashville. Um, Vandy's 17 point favorite. I think they cover it. I don't think Hawaii's very good. I would agree. Hawaii hasn't been very good for a while, so I'll go Vandy. Vandy's actually got a decent coach, and, and they could contend for a bowl yeah. game this year. San Jose State travels to USC. This is probably the most marquee team playing. 30 and a half is the spread. I think USC whoops them and covers the spread. Spartans versus Trojans, huh? Uh, 30 and a half, is a, that's a lot. Yep. San Jose, I don't know. I just really don't know much. I mean, but because they've got Caleb Williams back, they've got obviously a really good team. I'll, I'll go with USC to cover that. Last one. Florida International, coached by Mike McIntyre, former uh, Colorado coach, versus Louisiana Tech. We're just picking sure up. I'm going with the uh, with Louisiana Tech here. The Mud Dogs. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, what's the what spread? The, I don't even know. They're the Blue Raiders. Now that's Milton. Louisiana. Fun fact: Louisiana Tech you, at one of your first Michigan State games beat Michigan State after an onside kick when they had Luke McCown as quarterback. Hilarious. Uh, I'm going to go with La Tech myself. All right. That's pick them this week. Um, next week would be more fun when we actually have more games, but still something. Got to get All started. Right, go, for the, go for the ad. All right. Word from our presenting sponsor, Team Anders Realty. They will help you find the home that best fits your needs and make the process simple and fun along the way. The Anders have served thousands of clients over 30-plus years in the Grand Rapids, Michigan area and are here to serve you today. Learn more from our title sponsor at TeamAnders.com. All right, moving on to third down, which is our bracket. We've kind of been messing around the Big Ten lately. We did running backs, quarterbacks, wide receivers, um, defenses last week. This week we're going to go with a little coach bracket, but to simplify it, I have cut anybody out of the bracket that is under 500 in their career Big Ten win percentage. So that includes Northwestern's new coach, whose name escapes me. Braun. Braun, and I forgot to put him in there. Ryan Walters, Purdue's new coach, who's a new head coach. Matt Rule, who's, you know, whether you want to argue he's a good coach or not, he's 0-0 zero and zero in the Big Ten, so he does. he's out. Greg Schiano, only 353 in his... Big Ten history at Rutgers in Big Ten games. 176th out of 230 Big Ten historic coaches. Not very good. Also out Mike Loxley from Maryland, who has got a 429 Big Ten winning percentage, which is good for 148th out of the 230. And then, of course, right there on his heels, only in in 147th place because he has a few more wins with more years, Tom Allen from Indiana, also a 429 winning percentage. So, that leaves us with the bracket. Number one seed, Ryan Day, who ranks seventh all-time in Big Ten win percentage at 882 against wow. against number eight seed, Luke Fickle, who's only 7-7 seven and seven as a Big Ten coach and a 500 record ranked 117th. 
Uh, I'll go with Day. Yep, I will also go with Day. Um, fun fact, most of those games were at Ohio State uh, for Fickle. Uh, so we both have Day playing the winner of number four seed, James Franklin, who comes in at 684 win percentage, 45th in, in all time in the Big Ten, against number five seed, yours and my favorite rower, P.J. Flex, 620 winning percentage, good for 67th in the conference. Oh, God, I don't like either of them. Um, I'll just go with bald man James Franklin, I guess. Well, they're both bald, too. Um, Peel James Franklin. I think Franklin's a better recruiter, so I'm going to give him a nudge. Maybe part of that's because he's at Penn State, but I'll go with Franklin as well. So that fills the top half. We have chalk. Uh, then you go down to the bottom half of the bracket. Number three seed, Brett Bielema, 692 win percentage. Good for 42nd. Obviously, he had a good run at Wisconsin, and he's been decent at Illinois. Against number six seed, Kirk Ferentz, who had some kind of down years to start his career, but is 618 overall and ranks 68. I'm going to go Bielema. A couple of Iowa guys. Bielema played at Iowa. I like Bielema. I think Bielema because, I don't know, I mean, I think they're both kind of old school offense, um, but I think Bielema's more willing to make changes to help himself versus Ferentz, so I'm going to also go with Bielema, the three seed. And then the in-state battle, number two seed, Miami, at 747 win percentage, good for 27th all-time in the Big Ten against Mel, 563, 94th in the Big Ten. Cheeseburger boy. Uh, I, I, I mean, I hate to say it, but Harbaugh's a really good coach, and i got to go with him here. I, mean, I think Tucker could be better in the future if they, you know, things go correctly, but you got to go with Jim. Yeah, he, he's a he's an idiot. He's a good coach. He's a, he's a, but he's, he's a good coach. Yeah, he's a pretty good recruiter. He, he stays with what works for them. He's willing to get rid of coordinators, which I think is important. So as much as it pains me, because I think he's a total ass bag and a clown, but I would agree. Um, the cheese burglar, or the ham, the ham burglar, we'll call him, uh, Jim Harbaugh, who's, by the way, Michigan suspended him for three games to get out ahead of the NCAA, but that whatever, that's a whole other story. So, um, so chalk. So Ryan Day against James Franklin. Ryan Day. I agree with that. And then Bielema against Harbaugh. Bielema. I agree with that. I think Bielema's done more with less... Than Harbaugh, I don't know that Harbaugh could have the success he has at a Wisconsin or an Illinois no. without the resources. So we both have Bielema against Day. I'm going Bielema. I'm going upset city. I got to agree with you. I think that Day inherited obviously a lot from Urban. Now he's a good coach too. He's only lost like six or seven games, but he yeah he got keys to a Ferrari and he's got a pipeline of NFL talent and again Bielema has got to bring guys into freaking Champaign Illinois and if you've ever been to Champaign Illinois uh, don't blink because as soon as you're out of it it's back into the cornfields it's nothing spectacular I mean look they barely have anybody at their football games when they're good um, and obviously he did well at Wisconsin too so we agree Bielema top coach in the Big Ten uh, for guys that are over 500 oh fun fact too for that. Um, here's a little did you know. Nick Saban only ranks 81st all-time as a Big Ten coach with a 585 win percentage, and Coach D ranks 50th with a 667 win percentage. Really? Yep. Interesting for all the success that Mark had, but all right. So that is that. Let's golf it real quick. Let's, let's play some golf, not against guys playing from the tips and pants on a 90-degree day. Victor Hovland, for sure. Um, 
Holy crap. <laughs> 28 on the back nine yesterday. Shoots a 61. Wins the BMW. Vaults to second in the, for the Tour Championship this week. Good Lord. Um, Max Homa shoots a 62 Friday. Breaks the course record. Then Sam Burns shoots a 62 Saturday. Breaks the, ties the course record. Then Hoblin shoots a 61. Breaks the course record. Holy cow. Not an easy course either. Like a great Olympia field. A great course. Good tournament. Like, I mean, it's fun, obviously, because you have the top 50 guys playing in it. You get Spieth that's barely squeaking to the top 30. I know he was kind of on that border. Um, Whether you like or don't like the format of, you know, Scheffler starts at minus 10, then whoever's second, uh, Hovland is minus 8. Like, if you like that or not, I don't know. I can't think of a, a better way to do it that's a little bit more fair, honestly, because you should get some head start. You know, versus being number one versus number thirty for sure, but it really kind of says you got to be mm, top ten for sure, but probably really top five to have a legitimate chance. Right. So I maybe there's a better way to do it, Mitch. Maybe you got a better idea. So if you do, share it with Ryan, and we'll talk about it on the podcast next week afterwards. But um, I mean, it's hard for me to to go against Scheffler, who got his putting stroke back this weekend. I mean, he played well on Sunday. He shot four under. Yeah, he played poorly. Yeah, it's not like he played bad. Fitzpatrick, but same thing. He played foreigner. It's not like he played bad, but it's just Hovland played great. And Hovland's been there the last, seems like several weeks, he just has kind of thrown up on his shoes on Sunday um, and did not this time. So that was pretty a remarkable uh, run by him. And, I mean, so my picks this week, and I I think it's a little risky. I think Rom has not really played all that well, but I kind of almost wonder, is he just waiting in the wings? Because I think he starts in third place or third position maybe. Uh, um, So I've got Scheffler and Rom as my my picks for this week. All right, I've got Hovland and Mr. Xander Shoffley, who played pretty well this weekend. I think he's and he's won there before. Yeah, I thought I thought about Xander too. He's been playing pretty well lately as well. Last year, last year the lowest aggregate score to par. So um, we'll see. Uh, should be exciting. East Lake's awesome. They're actually redoing it right after the tournament. The Andrew Green, the guy that redid Oak Hill among other courses, is redoing it um, right after. So. Trying to trick it up a little more. Um, that would be cool. You got anything else golf-wise? I don't think I do. Uh, Ryder Cup, we can talk about that later. Kyle, that's for you. Um, we'll, we'll discuss that once the season's over. Maybe next week we'll dive a little more into it. But Got nothing else for me for golf. I mean, I think it'll be fun to watch this weekend. You know, I hope yeah. somebody can kind of kind of make a run from, like, that 10th spot just to make it super interesting. Yeah. Um, and I like, you know, most of the guys that are in the top 10 are guys that I'd be okay with winning. So, Yep, me too. Me too. All right, let's finish this bad boy off with a sprint as we always do. All right, saw this on Instagram, kind of goes with uh, our tee up here. Does every course need a, in quotations, recommended tee sign for the score you shoot? Yes. And and, yes. It, needs an, and it needs a lie detector test too because I don't care if you show up looking like you you know, take money off of people and you, you know, play professionally. I need, I need to like, I need have a handicap. That's, there's a fair, simple thing is carry a USG handicap costs like 30 bucks a year. Um, you know, if you're at a club, you get one automatically. So yes, because here's the thing too, is the red tees are get a bad name as the ladies tees. They're really the front tees. And if you're a beginner, there's no shame in playing the red tees and learning how to play golf and have some success. I don't need to watch you 
toil from 7,200 yards in 90-degree heat in pants with a top flight bag when you suck ass and you're slowing me down. No, I, I completely agree. Yep, yes, to that as well. Should teams be required to post a depth chart before the season? College or NFL? Well, either. Whatever you want. I don't, I mean, gamblers would say yes. I don't think so. I think a little bit of that mystery and intrigue, I think, is fine. Like, the media, it pisses the media off because they want to know, right? They want to talk about it. I, As a fan, the older I get, I'm kind of fine. Like, as long as I know who's going to be who number-wise, like, I'd just be curious and interested to see because I don't pay that much attention to the day-to-day of what's going on in fall camp, and I kind of want to be surprised. I agree. Um, I don't think so. All right. thought of this earlier. Best appetizer. Oh man, best appetizer. It depends on where you go, but like I'm a sucker for chili cheese fries. Uh, yeah, this one. I'm a simple guy. I like chips and salsa or chips and queso. I, I could eat that all day. Um, yeah, actually, chips and guac at Condado is yeah. pretty pretty fire. Condado, that's for sure. Yeah, chips and queso. Went to the score earlier. Ooh, their queso is good. That reminded me of that. Thought of this mowing the yard right before this favorite sport to play as a kid in like a pickup setting, you know, in the backyard, whatever, uh, anything like that. You know, summertime, you, you get one pick. What, what you're going to do with your friends, what would it be? No question. It was some form of baseball. So for me, uh, it was either getting the slip and slide out and playing pickle. It was playing home run derby with a racquetball and an aluminum bat out of, the, out of the driveway using the neighbor's house across the street as the home run fence. It was pickup baseball when I was in middle school. We actually took in a common area, like built a dugout like Sandlot and played pickup baseball with guys from 6th to 8th grade all day long in the summer. Um, and then when it was rainy, I had a like a wiffle ball field taped up in my basement. We would have the, it was unfinished and we had the ductwork covered so we wouldn't keep bashing the ductwork. And it would be, you know, you would pick your team and you would run through the lineup and you pitcher and everything. And it was two on two. Um, close quarters, but it was a blast. So it had to be baseball related when I was a kid. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I fight with my friends, lower the hoop to like eight and a half feet and just play basketball for hours. We would do that. Oh my gosh. And the, when it was cold outside, I remember. Yeah. We played for hours on end. That was always a fun time. Um, all right. That is 136 of these bad boys. Sorry, it went long, but I'm not sorry because we just did the most important one for. Fall can't or fall previews for for college football here. Um, appreciate you guys listening. Let us know if there's anything you want us to talk about here in the coming weeks. We're very very excited for football coming up. Um, sucks that the summer's coming in, but that means football. Um, NFL. We'll probably talk Lions here soon as well. So cannot wait. All right. Meantime, as the subject of my podium, Mr. SVP once said, the easiest story to sell is the story we want to buy.